Hey guys, good to see you all here tonight. Uh, if you guys don't know me, my name is Alex Gray. I help co-direct uh, Veritas here. Uh, I don't know uh, whether you do or not, um, but if you are a big fan of Celsius, uh, I am too. Maybe you guys are Red Bull fans though. I don't know, our, our, splat, our staff team is like fairly split, honestly. Uh, but in the past year or so, I have become I wouldn't say addicted, I would say obsessed, and that sounds better at least to me, uh, but I just love it so much. Like, I would probably drink multiple a day if my heart could handle it, but it can't. I've been told that's not good for my heart, so I show some self-control. But if you're at all familiar with Celsius, you may know that there is like legitimately some drama around it right now. So if you don't know, let me just catch you up real quick. Celsius. It is an energy drink that brands itself, defines itself as a fitness drink. So it, it says that it is different than any energy drink because it does stuff like boost metabolism. And, and it's also all about exercise. It, it claims that it's clinically proven to burn body fat, okay? So there's that, but then they're also like really into their ingredients. So right on the label, it says big, it says things like no high fructose corn syrup, no preservatives, no artificial colors or flavoring, and so it is like all about that. So I don't know, it kind of sounds healthy. Like maybe it's good for me, I, I think I'll go with that. But, but about a year ago, somebody looked a little bit more closely at that ingredients list. And what they, what they saw in small print is citric acid. And citric acid, it is like mostly known for being a flavoring agent, okay? But it's also known as a preservative, which is kind of a bummer when one of your big things right here is no preservatives. And so now there's this like entire lawsuit around Celsius. And it's gotten so bad that Celsius is now required to pay a dollar per Celsius that people have purchased. So you can be sure I have been scrounging up all of my receipts and submitting them. And I'm not sure if I'm going to make any money off of it, but I will, guys, I will keep you guys updated. But Celsius, the whole way through, through all of this lawsuit, they, they have said that they were never lying. Like, they say that they use citric acid as a flavoring agent. And so if it's also a preservative, that's not their fault because that's not what they were using it for. So they say that their label is true. And I mean, okay, sure. Like, it's probably not a lie that they were using citric acid for flavoring, but it kind of feels like we're not getting the whole truth, right? Like, it kind of feels like they want us, the label wants us to see the really good side of Celsius, but then just they want to omit, hide the not-so-great parts of it. And so it kind of seems like Celsius has created this, this false identity that is based off of their label. Okay, so why am I telling you all this? It is not because I don't think we should drink Celsius. I'm gonna be really honest, I'm gonna keep drinking it. I love it. But I'm telling you guys this because we, the last four or five weeks here on Tuesday nights, we have been talking uh, about identity. So we've been asking the question, who am I? And we've been teasing out questions like, what makes me me? Why am I who I am? Who or what? determines my identity. And if you've been with us this semester, you know that we humans 
we kind of tend to place or find an identity in a few common places. So we've talked about how it, it is pretty tempting for us to, to search for, to find an identity in places like people's expectation of us, uh, or maybe we talked about creating an identity in an online image, or maybe it's in that we just want to be known as being enough. We talked last week about how we put ourselves into a relationship status. And week after week, we've, we've kind of explored the idea that these, these places that we put in identity, they, they just can't seem to hold up. Like, for one reason or another, they, they just aren't sufficient for being a place to put our identity. So when we throw our entire identity into these things, we don't end up finding ourselves. We really end up losing ourselves. So tonight, we're going to talk about one last place that I think we tend to misplace our identity, which is in labels. So I'm talking about the words and, and the categories that we use to describe ourselves and, and describe other people's. So we're going to talk about labels. And if that sounds a, a little bit ambiguous, because it did for me at first, I think a good place to start is just to ask, like, what literally is a label? Let's start there. So a label, literally, is some material. It's like a piece of paper or plastic. Maybe it's fabric. And what it does is it describes an object. So like a label on a box. It tells you what food is in there. These are graham crackers. Or like a, a tag, a label on a shirt. It would tell you maybe what it's made of or what size it is, who made it. Or like a label on a store, a sign on a store. It's just going to tell you what they sell inside. So labels are really helpful. They're informative. And so physically, like physically, we label all sorts of stuff. We label, maybe, maybe your mom labels her pantry. We label book titles, I don't know, train stations, grocery store aisles, mail, you name it. Physically, we label a lot of things. But mentally, we are doing it all the time, like constantly. All the time, our, our brains are nonstop labeling things. And they actually have to. Like it is part of our survival instincts for us to label things. It starts at infancy. That's when we start doing this. And the reason is our brains are working like really hard. Every day, our brains are working so, so hard in ways that a lot of times we're not even aware of. So right now, right here, you guys sitting here, your brain, it is processing and, and filtering information about what you are hearing and seeing, what you're feeling, maybe what you're smelling, tasting even. All of that is happening all at once, and it's happening all day long. So your brain, it needs a way to manage all of that input. Like, like it needs a way to process all of that information or else it just goes into cognitive overload. Your brain would melt. And so the, what it does, what your brain does, is that it creates like categories. It creates labels for things. And then when it receives new information, just start sorting that into the labels and categories that it already has. Without really acknowledging it even, this is what our brain is doing really quickly all day long. And we do it with everything including people. See, when you meet a person, 
When you meet a person, your brain is right off the bat, immediately. It starts sorting and filing information that you're receiving about that person. And so right away, you are noticing and categorizing things about their appearance or the way they're speaking, their ethnicity, their personality, accomplishments, interests, all of that, your brain is categorizing it. And that helps your brain understand and then remember who that person is. So later when you think of them, you think, oh yeah, 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 she's the 80 pie. Or he's that really tall guy. I think he's the one who plays football for Mizzou. Or yeah, she's the super smart uh, pre-med girl. That's her, right? Like your brain is just constantly categorizing information so that it can recall it later and so that we can remember and understand people well. So here's a, a weird but fun example of how our brain does this. Rainbows. Rainbows, if we look at them, they are uh, a band of colors. That's what we see, right? And we get like maybe six, possibly seven, if you guys are really into indigo, colors that are grouped together. But that's not actually what a rainbow is. Like actually what a rainbow is, a rainbow is uh, an infinite spectrum of light. It's got all this gradation, infinite shades of colors that are in one spectrum. But our brain, it cannot handle that. It can't do that. So what it does is it groups them out, it categorizes them, and then it gives us colors. So we get red and orange and yellow and so on. This is how our brain has to do this. We do this with things and we do this with people. But here's the kicker. Be because we label other people in our brains, things and other people, we know, we know that other people are labeling us too. It's just a fact. Like when people are hearing us speak or they look at us or they are learning things about us, listening to us, they are labeling things about us. They're categorizing things about us, which is kind of terrifying. Like I think of that and immediately it is hard not to get insecure about that. How do people view me? What are they seeing? How are they labeling me? What words are they using to describe me? What do they think of me? I, th I think it is normal for us to, from time to time, get a little bit insecure about that. But when we do that, usually our response is to get out ahead of those labels. And, and then we create labels for ourselves so that we can control how people see us. We want to define ourselves immediately, quickly, with things uh, that we know about our attributes and our accomplishments, our characteristics, the things that we want people to see about us, we label ourselves immediately before other people can do that. So I don't know, maybe, maybe what you want to be labeled as is the good friend. So everything you do, you drop everything to go be that good friend. You want to give good advice. You're very loyal. You would do anything so that people will see you as friend. Or maybe you're an athlete, and so that's the label that you want people to know you as, which means that you are always showing training, personal records, your stats. I don't know. I think particularly in this room, within this community of people, I think that it is common for us to potentially choose the term Christian, use that label, out of a hope that people look at us as 
wise and mature, someone to look up to, someone to lean on. Maybe you're somebody who puts their identity in any number of things, your, your political identity, your race, your gender identity. I, I don't know what it is, but I can guess that at some level, it, it is so that we can, you can shape other people's view of who you are. You can label yourself first. So think about this for a second. If you could define yourself in any way, if you could give yourself any label, what would you choose? What words would you choose to label yourself? And be honest, okay? I know we always want to say like humble, selfless, right? But deep down, what would it actually be? If you could choose how people see you, what you were in other people's eyes, what words would you use? For me, for whatever reason, I, I don't know if I can quite describe it, but the word that I would always choose is respected. Like, I really want people to admire me. I want to be seen as that person who's really competent, the one who is really good at what she does. I want people to look at me and go, dang, she's killing it. Yeah, she's awesome. And so I will admit, I am not proud of it, but I project that label. Like, that is the identity that I put off in my job, my friendships, my free time, all of that. So what is that word for you? What, what label would you choose? Do this. It, bless you. If, you. if you had a piece of paper, actually, do this. If you have a piece of paper, if you have your phone, write down that word. Write down the word that you would label yourself with. And do that, and then I have another question for you. Is it enough? Is it enough? If, if that were all you were, if that is that word that you've written down, if that's all people saw you as, would that be enough? For me, when it comes to being respected, admired, competent, successful, my first thought is, yeah, yeah, that would be enough. I mean, that's all I've ever wanted, right? So of course it would be enough. But then I give it a second, and I think, well, okay, no, maybe not. Because if I was only respected, admired, then, then all of these other parts of me, how many other parts of me would be just pushed aside or, or lost even? Like, that's not my whole personality. I hope not. There are so many other parts of me, so many other things about me that I would really love for people to know and see about me. But if I was only respected or admired like I think I want, then all of those other things, all that other stuff would get lost. See, the issue with labels, the issue with labels is that they tend to reduce us down to one thing. They, they just can't describe all of who we are. And so they, they end up putting us in these little boxes, these categories that are inherently limited. They just can't possibly capture all of our personhood, our complete personhood, our identity. They can't do it. In May uh, of this past year, the Taliban, who are now ruling Afghanistan once again, they made an announcement. And their announcement was that it is now required for women 
when they are out in public to be wearing an all-covering veil. So kind of like this, when, when women are outside of their home, they now are require, required to wear a, a burqa or a similar garment that covers them head to toe. So nothing else is showing. And when you look at this picture, the only thing, the only thing that we could possibly identify about these people is that they are women. We can't really identify anything else because the burqa, it puts that label of woman on them and it erases everything else. That's what labels do. They, they reduce us down to one thing. They give us one label. I, I see this kind of thing, this reduction of labels uh, all the time, honestly, in, in my job in college ministry. But one of the places I feel like I've seen it a lot recently is in diagnoses. So when people receive a diagnosis or they talk to me about their diagnosis, they, they tend to see it as an all-encompassing label. So I was talking to a, a girl the other day, and she had just recently been diagnosed with clinical anxiety, and she told me that her fear was that this was all she was going to be. This was all that defined her now. This was all that she would ever be. This was her identity. And I think a lot of times, I think a diagnosis, it can be a really, really crushing label. Like when we hear things like anxiety or depression or, I don't know, ADHD, dyslexia, personality disorder, autism, disability, cancer, obesity, addiction, you name it, these labels, when we hear these words, it feels like it controls us, defines us, is all of who we are. Uh, a different example, currently in the U.S., there are lots of high schoolers and college students who are finding a lot of comfort in sexual identity and gender identity labels that help them to express who they are. So there is a, there's a growing list of terms, and it continues to grow as people find new ways to, to talk about, to share who they are. And a lot of people are saying, this, this is what they need in order to, it, it's helpful in order to talk about their identity, in order to really express themselves in a true way. But a lot, of, a lot of teenagers, a lot of college students are also saying that these labels are just really limiting. They're saying that it, they just don't cut it. In a book that I was reading recently, one high schooler, he said it like this. He said, yes, I am L LGBT, and even though that's my identity, it doesn't mean it's the only thing or most important thing about me. But people tend to put you in a box and only think of you a certain way once they get a certain label about you. I will admit, it was hard to find like research on this topic and to like actually get good stats, but one study at least that I found said that 67% of Gen Z, your generation, Gen Z respondents, said that even with dozens of terms, dozens and dozens of terms, identity labels, they are just too limiting. They really can't get fully at what we are, who we are. They tend to reduce us down to our sexuality, down to our gender, and they just miss everything else. 
labels in general, they, they tend to reduce down our person. They tend to paint a one-dimensional picture of who we are. I, uh, I've been a, a follower of Jesus for, I don't know, probably 12, 13 years. And the more I read the Bible, the more time I spend in it, the more I realize that the stories in it, the accounts that it's telling, they are, they are so relatable to our everyday here and now in a way that, honestly, first, I would not expect reading them. And one of those stories that I feel is, honestly, way more relevant than I originally gave it credit for is in the Gospel of Luke. And in Luke, which is the third gospel in the New Testament, so it's talking about Jesus' life and, and ministry here on earth. And in Luke, there is a story about Jesus going to a, a man's house for dinner. And this man is a Pharisee, so that means that he is a Jewish religious leader of, of Jesus' day. And so here's how the story goes. We're going to pick up in chapter 7, and we'll start at verse 36. It says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A, a woman in that town who, was, who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Okay, so this is kind of a strange story. What is happening? Well, it is not customary anymore, so please don't do this like when you next have people over. But in this time, it, it was common, it was a sign of honor and respect and, and service to wash people's feet. And so this woman, she shows up at this guy's house, and she understands who Jesus is. And so what she is doing, she is honoring him, praising him. She is worshiping Jesus. But, but how does the, the Pharisee respond? Well, he says if Jesus was a prophet, if he was a spokesperson who had been sent from God, then he would know. He would know what kind of woman this was. She's a sinner. In the Bible, biblically, the word sinner, it, it means someone who has rejected a relationship with God. So it's someone who does not want his design for their life. It's someone who is disobeying his commands for their life. And in all reality, uh, up until recently, this is probably the way that woman was living. But Pharisees are, again, religious leaders. And so they are known for following God's commands like to a T. This Pharisee, his whole identity is based around following, obeying God's commands. And so when he sees this woman, all he sees, the first and only thing that comes to his mind is sinner. All he can see is sinner. He, he ignores the fact that she is a woman with a life, a full life, like a past and family, probably friends, like things that she loves, experiences that have shaped her. He ignores all of that, and he ignores her hospitality. He ignores her respect and praise for Jesus. All he does is reduce her down to one word, sinner. 
That is all that he gives her, flattens her identity down to sinner. Some of you, some of you in this room, you might know what that feels like. You might feel like your mistakes, your bad decisions, the, the things that you have done, that those are who you are. That is what defines you. So you feel like when people see you, they see a label that is screw up, too far gone, unlovable, unfixable. But I want to tell you, that is, that's a small, limited view of who you are. Like, you are not defined by your past. You're not defined by your decisions. You're not defined by your actions. You are more than your labels. You are more than your labels. See, in the end, labels are only going to reduce and flatten who we think we are. They can only paint a one-dimensional picture, and so they just cannot describe who we are as a person. Just like all the other places that we want to place our identity, just like all of those other things, this just can't be enough. We cannot live into labels. Okay, but then where do we find our identity? Right? That's the question that we have been asking. Where do we find an identity? And each week, I hope you have heard us say, the, the pursuit the searching for an identity, that is not the issue. That is not wrong. The, the, the issue is where we try to find it. So where do we find an identity? Where do we look for our, our identity? Well, I want to go back quickly to, to Luke 7, and I want to finish out the story about this woman because I think our answer is there. So in verse 44, we get back to it. Then he, Jesus, turned toward the woman and said to Simon, who is a Pharisee, we learn his name, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. That was also customary back then. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. So when Jesus looks at this woman, it's as if he is saying, sinner? No, no. No, that's not your identity. That's, that's not the label that I have given you. Your sins, yes, they are, they are a part of you, but they are not you anymore. I, I have given you a new label. Your sins have been forgiven. You have been forgiven. That is who you are. And for any of us in this room, for anybody watching online who follows Jesus, who wants to follow Jesus, that is our identity too. Like that is the label that we have been given. Because of Jesus' death on the cross, forgiveness is our new label. He has taken the punishment of sin that wants to find us. He has taken the insufficient, limited labels that we put on ourselves, and he has given us the label forgiven. He's replaced all of that with forgiven. And the beautiful thing is, when Jesus gives us a label, 
It is not going to reduce, flatten, limit us. It is different than the one-dimensional definition, label that the Pharisee gave that woman. The label forgiven, it's, it's different. It expands all of who we are. It, it can encompass all of who we are. Jesus, he loves us so much. Like the way he talks about us in, in the Gospels is amazing. And so we can know that he wants a very full life for us. He, he sees us as multidimensional, multifaceted, complex people that are made in his image. And so Jesus, he sees all of us. So when he gives us the label forgiven, he is also saying that we are co-heirs with Christ. We are friends of his. We are God's workmanship, the church, children of God, citizens of heaven, temples of the Holy Spirit, victors, lights of the world, saints, brothers and sisters, and new creations. And that is just some of the terms. That's just part of the list. See, as the music team comes back up, uh, I want you to look back on that word that you wrote down for yourself. Look, look at that word and then, and then do this. Compare it with all of those words. Tonight when you leave, there's going to be a bookmark out there that has all of these verses on there. And so maybe what you can do this week is just pray through these verses one by one. Compare them to that label that you have given yourself and ask yourself, what would change if I replaced this word that I've written for myself with all of these things, with any of these things? What would that mean for who I think I am, who you think you are? Forgiven. Forgiven. That's how Jesus sees us. That is the identity that you have in him when you follow him. And that is a, that's a full, whole, complete identity. And it lets us live a full, whole, complete life. See, Jesus, in being forgiven, Jesus is labeling with us with something that is never going to reduce us. It is never going to be lacking. It will never erase anything about us. Jesus sees of you and he loves you fully. Amen.